Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any grandized statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, we love seeing you live every Thursday night over in Facebook land, YouTube land. The chats are always on fire and uh, we always love interacting with you. So just be warned, your chats can even show up on the air, which we love. We love bringing those uh, little nuggets of wisdom on. Um, if you can't catch us live, you can always catch us during the replays or on your favorite podcasting app. You know me. My name is John Rourke. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. Next up for his introduction, the one, the only, Jason Richards. Hey, Jason. Hey, John. How's it hey, going? Hey, how are you? Good, good. That is uh, not something we should be sharing quite yet. <laughs> you prematurely anyway, shared. Yes. I just, I was too excited. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Uh, Jason Richards here, past master of Acacia Lodge number 16 in Clifton, Virginia, member of the Colonial Lodge number 1821 in Washington, D.C., and Lafayette Lodge number 79 in Zanesville, Ohio. Excellent, excellent. Good to have you. And next up for his introduction. Better to be seen than viewed. Hey, oh, <laughs> Joe. And, and wait a minute. Am I seeing double? What do we have here? Oh, no, you're not seeing double. One of them has hair. They, they look identical from here. Yes. Yes. So, you know, me, Robert Johnson, uh, past master of Waukegan Lodge, number 78 and uh, current secretary in perpetuity at uh, Space Nova 1183 and uh, have a little podcast on the side, do all that stuff. And uh, yeah, great to see you. And you are? Uh, Joe Martinez, past master, current worshipful master forever of Manasseh 182. Uh, I am a co-host here at the Masonic Roundtable podcast and uh, I am a Pisces. Great to meet you. Cough, not a past master. Forever, not a past master. What? Virginia? Nope. Virginia. Not, not until your successor, your successor has, has been, been elected and installed. No. Yep. Not even elected. If and you installed. die, you're not a past master. Bingo. Correct. Yep. If I die, I'm not a past master. That's bullshit. Yep. <laughs> oh, this was a good, like, kid-friendly show. We had <laughs> it was. It really was. <laughs> Once upon a time. <laughs> Well, it's uh, it's good that we have everyone all centrally located here in Virginia. Let's move over to thanking pa the patrons, because you guys rock our socks. If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. We love you because for Because YouTube monetization tanks every time we say the word shit. Oh, <laughs> swears are. Put a quarter in, Jason. We'd be billionaires if we had a swear jar. <laughs> <laughs> billionaires. Yeah. We need to start an OnlyFans. Okay, let's uh, let's head over to the Only uh, Bros. Only Bros. Only Bros. <laughs> it's like a right wing dating site. <laughs> we, I'm gonna com. get hate mail for this. All right, OnlyBros. Uh, OnlyBros.com redirects to the Masonic Roundtable. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Quick to to Google domains. Let's do the tarot card of the week. All right, because we All are right. now in our fifth classical element. We are, and you know what? Um, regardless of what you may have seen before, this is a completely random draw from a really interesting new tarot deck. And I've drawn the designers. 
What? Question mark? No way. No way. Oh my goodness. What is what <laughs> is this deck? Oh, this is the business class tarot. <laughs> nice. And so if you are a big old esoteric and Masonic nerd and you happen to be very interested in business management, lean practices, and agile acquisition, there's like <laughs> no more perfect tarot deck <laughs> than this. Um, but just for funsies, you know, I, I also threw out the magician and the Kabbalistic tarot, and then also the magician in the Trinity tarot. That's pretty cool. I and love, so, I like that one. The magician, that's really cool, man. I mean, uh, traditionally you see the magician of like the table there as you have it on uh, the Kabbalistic tarot. Uh, but the focus of what is on the magician's table is not always uh, easily seen. I, I really like that uh, intuitive sort of um, representation there. That's really cool. I like that. Yeah, so the Trinity Tarot is by Ari Weisner. Uh, he is the designer of the Transient Light Tarot, which is my favorite deck that, that we shared a couple times on the show. Um, and the, the Kabbalistic Tarot is just very, very well done in general. So when we talk about the you know quintessential element of either, it's really, you know, it's, it's a combination it's kind of a combination of all the elements, but it's also an absence of all the elements. Is it just, you know, we'll get into this later, but it just is. And it's, it's kind of the void space. And so um, we thought the magician, you know, would be most uh, appropriate as a representation of either um, because the, ma the magician works with everything and nothing. At, at his disposal, he has all of the known, you know, discernible, perceivable universe on his table at his fingerprints to manifest with what what he will. Creation, love it, love it. I think what what could be great about tonight is if we go through this because ether itself is one of those things that has changed meanings over time from the 17th, 18th, 19th, and uh, onward and upward into modern physics, uh, you're going to see that it changes what it is kind of supposed to have been from something containing everything to just a medium back to containing other things to more of a medium again. So uh, I think the magician is really uh, an appropriate card here. Good job. Cool. Thanks for pulling that. Yeah, because it's interesting, right? Because we've had a correspond corresponding suit for the other uh, suits of the tarot, but really the quintessence, you know, really kind of breaks free of all that. And I thought, uh, why not? Why not go with the magician who plays with all the all the elements at once? So well, and really exhibits mastery over mastery. Them all, I love it. Right. Right. It's not just you know he is the he is the one card in the entire deck that represents the ability to hold all four elements in balance and, and bend them to as well. Or in the business tarot case, 
uh, data, brand, profit, and product. Yes. <laughs> nice. Love being it. A, being a product manager, I love that Wands is represented by the the suit of product. <laughs> Got to deliver product, baby. Yep. Let's do it. Let's make something out of nothing. Awesome. Well, cool. And then all the money goes away, and you're like, poof, where did it go? <laughs> well, we ship so much product. You know where it went? Into tarot decks. <laughs> yes. we, we need more tarot decks. That's where your money went. Sales of pumpkins are going crazy during October. <laughs> Step three, profit. All right, let's get into it. Uh, per special request, Suncard19 decided to come early. Uh, we're going to cover the fifth element in our classical element series. Uh, that is the quintessence or the classical element of ether. So tonight, again, we will cover the history, the the nuances, because again, RJ did set it up pretty well that there it has changed over time based on scientific understanding and, and really philosophical understanding as well. So we're going to dive into what does this uh, mysterious fifth element bring to us? And it's not just um, a cool alien movie, cool sci-fi movie with Bruce Willis. It's actually more than that. So let's go into it. <laughs> Pumpkin spice tarot in October. Ha! Ha! <clears throat> <clears throat> I love it. Minus two points. I'm, I'm going to give you one point for that. Grody. All right, Joe, do you want to dive in? or? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. The history of it. Um, the history of the quintessence. We're going to see in a, the ancient history, as RJ pointed out, it absolutely flip-flops uh, as we go from place to place and, and culture <clears> to culture. <throat> but we're going to start with the ancient Egyptians. So the ancient Egyptians had a similar concept to the, the ether, um, but they did not call it such. Oh, that's terrible. Sound card. I love it. Um, yeah. They believed in the existence of this invisible force that they called the Ka. And the Ka was that force that animated living beings and, and objects and animals and things. So it was that spiritual uh, spirit force uh, within the world. And, and caused- then- and then you took the ka and added it to itself, and it became the kaka or the number two. Okay. You know, that is a wonderful way to kind of symbolize the idea of the divine emanations, if you will, of man. One to two. You've, get, you've given us a lot to talk about and think about, Jason. Well, and, you know, thinking thinking about you know, one to two, it's almost like, you know, one is the, you know, the prime unifying source, the either, and the two really, at least according to the cult of Pythagoras was, of course, the dyad, but it was the audacity to rip oneself away from the one. And so the two, the numeral two is, was largely, um, despised in Pythagorean circles because it was, you know, the thing that was so wretched because it chose to separate itself from from the all from manifesting, all knowing source. Yes. Wow. So the the two, the duo, the do key. Mm, I like it. So yeah. So <laughs> let's get back to the ether. Yes. So. Ancient Egypt, earliest examples. Um, 
but that ether in ancient Egypt was, again, it was your spiritual double, your, your, your vital essence. And it was that essence that left your spiritual body that existed in the afterlife, right? So that's the Egyptians. So now let's go from Egypt as we always do into Greece. So this is where you actually see the word ether actually come into the study of philosophy in pre-Socratic circles. So it was the Greek philosopher Parmenides who proposed that idea of an actual fifth element, not the same as the movie, uh, called ether, which was different than the other four classical elements of earth, air, fire, and water. Um, according to Parmenides, ether was pure and it was an unchanging substance. It was an ethereal substance. And it was the substance that lived outside of the earth and the moon. So beyond into the cosmos was, was the ether, which is really interesting because we're going to talk about that before we get to Einstein. So now let's go a little bit east into ancient India. Um, they also had five elements. They had earth, water, fire, and air, and the substance known as the Akasha. So it was a little bit different of an element. It wasn't like the others. And it was believed to be the fundamental substance of which all matter was created. The other four elements came from the Akasha. Um, it was also, this is all going to, we should just rename this episode to Einstein. Uh, it was the medium through which sound or light and, and all forms of energy lived and breathed and propagated through. And then finally, we're going to touch on uh, Persia. No, I'm sorry. Second to last, Persia, ancient Persia. So Zoroastrianism, Zoroastrianism, um, the concept of ether was also found there as well. Um, but it was a substance that made up divine garden, guardian spirits that connected the mortal world with the spirit world. So it was kind of that bridge between the two, your four uh, grounding elements and then your one spiritual element, which I think is really interesting. Uh, and they associated this force with uh, the souls of your ancestors and the people that came before you who watched over you and protected you. Uh, and then finally, we're going to go to ancient China uh, because they also had five elements. Um, the concept of ether in ancient China was known as the qi or the qi. And it was that fundamental life force or energy that kind of like the force in Star Wars that flowed through all living things, you know, between and amongst each other. Nice. Um, absolutely talked about in traditional Chinese medicine in martial arts and in, in ancient Chinese philosophy. Um, but it lived amongst and betwixt us. So yeah, that's a little high level history of, of the ether. Boom. Sweet. A, a good comment we had here in the YouTube was uh, CWH who said breath. Cause as we were looking at this and we were just, we were talking about it, this divine life force, we've talked about it in, in previous episodes is like, the medium through which life was given. And we talked about God giving the breath of man uh, or breathing that into man, uh, those kinds of ideas. Uh, so it seems to, in the very least, um, in the ancient world, I guess we can look at it and say that it encompassed the idea of all energy. It is the, um, it's almost like when DeGrasse Tyson talks about a receding pocket, right? It's like the idea of the one thing that we ascribe everything to that we don't quite understand just yet. And as we've started to understand things, we pull things out and the ether becomes, uh, as Joe alluded to, a sort of irrelevant idea, but never really goes away in 20th century, 19th century spiritualism because it turns into something completely different. Well, and, you know, interestingly that enough 
Robert, like for hundreds of years, you know, before the, the 20th century, like either was the explanation for how light travels. And so now you have either being, you know, having the connotation of manifestation, combination of all the elements, the breath of life, also the personification or the medium through which divine light moves. And so it's really interesting to look at the symbolism and, you know, see the ether as, as essentially the, the paintbrush of the divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, or, or kind of the glue that holds everything together or just the, the matter in which everything kind of resides. Right. There's a, there's a great analogy we can make later when we talk about masonry, right? Yeah, that's true. Go ahead and drop a nail. Why not? The cemented brotherly love. Bingo. Yeah. That's where I thought you were going to go with that. Yeah, it's exactly right. Cause it unites us all. Right. And so that's, that's really a parallel to, to ether. Joe. I, I thought you were going to pull on that. And when I mentioned star Wars, I thought you were going to pull on that like hard. Just hey, I could absolutely. I mean, cause that's just, I mean, like, because it becomes something different, right? We talk about ether as being the force, but then, you know, in episode one, they're like, Oh no, it's midichlorians. Right. Exactly. Space mitochondria. <laughs> but what do midichlorians live in? That's it's right. Ether of the force. Right. Well, and you, when we did the uh, the Star Wars and Freemasonry episode, right, we talked a little bit about the Force as being maybe analogous to um, Neoplatonism, right? To having the One that we're all you know associated with, or um, uh, Panentheism, not Pantheism, Panentheism, where uh, everything is in is in the One, right? So is all. Yeah, the One is all. So I mean, that, that's a really good like jumping off point, right? Because it, it 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 takes a different mental model uh for how these religious and symbolic um aspects of ether came about right that they they all implied and again to find the the common thread through all these they all implied some sort of higher unification some some higher source that that everything kind of um resides in and 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 uh, is created from so you know that uh I kind of, um, I'll talk a little bit later too, um, about the, like the Adam Kadmon where in the, the Jewish sense, right. It's kind of the, the highest level, the highest level container for uh, a perfect or divine man, right. That that's primordial, sitting, yeah. primordial man, right. That right there next to the divine. Uh, so I think that's, a uh, again, another well, analogy that, there. Yeah, no, you, you just hit it on the head, right? So, you know, when, I don't know if people understand when you say that we're talking about man, before the fall, right? Before, before he became part of the, the mortal world, right? Primeval man, man in his natural state, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he was, it was different than us. It was not the same as us, you know, didn't have this jazzy hair, you know, and the lovely, lovely goatee. Um, man was different, you know, primeval man, primordial man was different than, you know, the meat suits that we have now. Yes. It was cool. Exactly. Much cooler. Yeah. Much cooler. Too many tacos. So I think it's interesting. They were really good tacos. Great tacos. We do see. John didn't have any. I missed it. I missed out. 
big FOMO. Uh, fifth element actually shows up for the first time in, uh, Plato's Timaeus, um, where he, he talks about all the other elements, but then kind of alludes to ether by name. Um, but then the rest of it just talks about the four elements, which I think is, is interesting. So we have it documented as a fifth element, but not much, not much detail about that. And I think that's kind of to its detriment, right? That over the course of the millennia that it's, it's always been this, like it's been the, uh, uh, professor and Marianne, of the Gilligan's Island, right? It's like, and the rest and the other element, right? It's, it's not as cool as the, the main, the main players. So, um, so again, that's why we don't have a lot to go on as far as like, what is ether? What is it exactly? It's the catch all. <laughs> it's, it's the rest <laughs> and the rest. F-L-E-T-A-L. Taco time. Taco time. These are the tacos that John missed. Stuff I, I, I need to be photoshopped in there. All right. We'll get you. So, I mean, we, we, if we're going to talk about it from a, from a historical perspective, um, we do need to touch on the rise of science, right? Um, because mm-hmm. everything, you know, if we're talking about Plato and Parmenides, it, it still has a philosophical slant to it. And, um, you know, once we get to past the Renaissance and we start to get into the Age of Enlightenment, uh, it becomes to be a, a mainstay in scientific conversation, right? You get to the 16th, 17th, the 18th centuries, you know, when we're talking about classical physics, post-Newton, <coughs> right? You start to see ether becoming the medium. Like like RJ said, the medium by which everything everything travels in. Um, going all the way to, to Jason's point about um, once they start to, when people start to sit down and decide what the hell is light, what is it made out of? Is it a wave? Is it a particle? Sometimes it acts as both. It's so confusing. We don't know. Right. So for the longest time, back to Robert's point, ether was the catch all. It was, we don't understand what is going on here. So it's, we're going to attribute it to the ether. And the ether became a, a mainstay in scientific talk for th- at least 300 years. You know, until the rise of the twentieth century, um, it was the common thing to talk about. If you went to, you went to Cambridge, or you went to Harvard, or you went to Yale, and you were studying physics, you talked about the ether um, because it was a real viable thing for physics and science. Um, until we start to get to exactly as Jason pointed out, when people started to actually decide, we need to figure out what light is. Is it a wave or is it a particle? And so, for the longest time, people thought that when it took on the properties of a wave, it was because ether was the one doing the waving, right? So light was making ether move in waves, like my hands are doing, like that, um, throughout space. Uh, And that's what you saw was the rippling of the ether. Well, and then to to bring back to what we were talking about at dinner, um, the big news in uh, science that came out today there is a background hum of vibrations that permeates the entire universe. Well, they always knew that. The, the magic thing they found was, right, because they discovered gravitational waves with LIGO in, what, 2016, right? Mm-hmm. The two yeah. black holes decided to punch each other. It made a gravitational wave so profound that you could detect it here on Earth. But the thing that was so amazing about that discovery was that there was a gravitational hum or a noise or a a wave 
that predates the cosmic background radiation. So we're, mm. we're, we're seeing gravity waves <clears throat> in the part of the, or the history of the universe that we can't see. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> because the earliest we can see is the co cosmic microwave background, right? Which, yeah, which, which related, uh, just coincidentally, um, you know, I read another study this week that, uh, that they, they've f kind of figured out that space time actually acts as waves, right? So it's, it's not only curved, but it actually has a, a flow to it. So there's gonna be times where it's stronger and weaker, not just by gravitational pull, but, but just in the nature of its fabric, which again, goes all the way back to this whole like ether concept, because they, they were trying to find out like what was pulling all this together, right? The Nicholson Morley experiment. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, Rune, spot on. So that's exactly where we start to uh, destroy the importance of the ether in, in mm -hmm. the conversation of modern physics. So the Michelson Morley experiment was in the late 1800s, and they tried to measure how the Earth moved through this hypothetical ether um, by observing how the ether interfered with light waves, but they didn't detect anything significant of any sort. So yeah, there you go. Um, so they came to the conclusion, Michelson Morley, that the ether did not exist, but <clears throat> it stuck around for about another 30 years um, until we get to our favorite or my favorite, Albert Einstein. Of which he wrote, if the Nicholson Morley experiment had not brought us into a serious embarrassment, no one would have regarded the relative relativity theory as a halfway redemption. <laughs> <laughs> that's eating your own dog food if, about uh, it. if I do say so myself and so this is the death of ether as a scientific, scientific thing. Mm -hmm. sort of thing that had been explored at this point right. uh, beyond this right because the, the Einstein wrote about uh, ether is not the thing that light has to bounce around on to travel sure so, so then it it's it sort of changed after that, right? Because it's not it wasn't necessarily a a light medium that was required for light to, to be to exist, but also then then started to shift towards a um, a dark matter or you're like what's what's the rest of the universe made up of, right? What is what is the um, the, the stuff between stuff, the, like the matter between matter in, in the in the uh, universe, which then leads you to now the electromagnetic spectrum, right? So there's been a lot of discussion about should, is ether really um, now resonating on elect electromagnetic potential? Does it get into all the stuff that Tesla was doing with Tesla coils and all that kind of stuff? Uh, I'm a little on the fence on that because electromagnetic electromagnetism magnetism itself is a pretty well-known phenomena, right? And it's, it's not yet another element. It's, it's a relationship between current and electromagnetic fields. So. You mean it's a merging of some of the classical elements in the way the magician might manifest? <sighs> well, like, so what is electricity, right? In Nobody that knows. It, is electricity a fire? No. Is it plasma? No. Like, well, no, so, it's, it's, it's definitely plasma. It's not fire. But what about potential energy? Like, what about voltage, right? That's that's not necessarily uh, a form of plasma or fire. It is it is something else entirely. It has properties. It has observable things that you can do with it. Um, and so is that ether, right? Did they, was that the substitute for this thing that we really didn't know how to harness until, like, 
Benjamin Franklin was throwing keys on kite strings. I don't know. <laughs> you know? You've got up until, I mean, even in, in recent times, there's still use of the word ether, you know, in modern physics. Mm-hmm. And you see it, you even find it in psychology. Uh, so in physics today, you'll see it being used uh, as a term for the quantum vacuum. And so this is a, a thing that kind of sort of says there's, there's a, a field of particulate of known and unknown things that has become, you know, it's the, that's the quantum vacuum or a classical sense of an ether. Mm-hmm. And psychology is really interesting because there's, there's been papers recently published. Uh, I think Purdue University had one not too long ago. Uh, that talked about, uh, as as Joe was mentioning, light, sometimes a wave, sometimes not, uh, dependent upon uh, the, the, uh, vis- the, you know, the viewing, right? The, uh, the attention, observing. the uh, witnessing of mm-hmm. a viewer, right? Observing. So in this sense, uh, the, the wave that is... Man- you know, able to be manipulated is essentially a consciousness wave. So when they talk about consciousness as being uh, a fifth fundamental force, right alongside gravitational, um, electromagnetic, strong and weak interactions, you've got consciousness possibly, and consciousness could be an ether uh, because it is uh, the, the thing that is sort of guiding the idea of what's possible right well look at look at uh i mean that kind of dovetails and we're, we're stepping out of einstein right because yeah. einstein hated everything quantum right um he did not like it at all because it didn't work yet right? well yeah. it, it didn't sit well with him right like he couldn't he couldn't uh mathematically talk about quantum entanglement right and that led to what 15 years of just debates on it but but when you talk about quantum entanglement right like why can a particle here interact with a particle hundred thousand light years away and what's connecting them what is the thing that's connecting them together yep, that's got to be ether right because there's no other explanation ether. for it ether with an a boom mm-hmm. yeah which get now now then just to pull that even further right so we went from the failed experiment to potentially you know electromagnetic uh, spectrum well then now even with all the research that we're doing trying to build up quantum particles observe those things building antimatter like is that the the next evolution of of ether right because we're now building anti-matter at this point that's that certainly yeah. wasn't in the realm of possibility 50 no, years ago well, no well well they i mean they did talk about you know like leaving all the sci-fi aside right. um antimatter showing up you know once we started the conversation uh past nuclear physics right when mm-hmm. bomb and then everybody started working in nuclear physics, um, you did have early concepts about matter and antimatter. Um, absolutely. Those were around for a while, but I think, I think what you said and what Robert said is super interesting is that Einstein 1905 relativity comes out space and time. You have a vacuum and you have, you know, it wasn't until what, almost 10 years later where he was like, Oh, gravity. Um, you know, in his special theory of relativity. Um, but it does start to come back in serious consideration 
when all the way what you said at the beginning, when we started talking about dark matter and dark energy, right? These, this force and this matter that makes up most of the matter and energy in the universe, right? Like real matter and real energy account for mm-hmm. what, uh, a fifth of what they think is the mass of the universe. Correct. Um, so what's the other 80%? We can't see ether. it. We can't, it, maybe it's ether. It's maybe ether. It's We've solved it. That sounds like a bad guy. Dark ether. Dark ether. It's going to come out in the next Marvel Cinematic Universe. Dark, dark, dark. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Kang the etherer. Kang. <laughs> Kang the etherer. <laughs> wow. Marvel, if you want it, write this man a check. That's right. Trademark the Masonic Roundtable 2023. So, uh, so let's talk about the dodecahedron then. How about that? Because big shape. It's a it's a big shape. Did you say the double dodecahedron? Double do just a single. Double do. No, double secret probation. Double secret probe. That's well, okay. there we go. Oh, man, bring up the rainbow shapes. There we All go. right, rainbow shapes. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, platonic solids ending up now with aether as the dodecahedron, the twelve sided, um, twelve faces, twenty points, thirty edge shape. Uh, one thing that's kind of interesting, if you think about the five elements when you connect them all together, they create a pentagram, the star, a star shape. Uh huh. And uh huh. If you if you draw an outline around the star, you get a penta, uh, pentagon, and so the dodecahedron actually uses the pentagon as its faces. So that's kind of a cool uh, corollary there. And so the dodecahedron is the most mysterious of the solids. It is by far the most difficult to construct, um, using multiple pentagons, requiring requiring a rather elaborate application of Pythagoras's great theorem. Um, which leads Plato to, to conclude that the dodecahedron is what, quote, the deity employed in tracing the plan of the universe. So this is a, uh, one of these um, cosmogenical shapes, right? That this is something how, how the, the universe was created. Which, again, I have a whole different tangent on the platonic solids and how they actually... Um, not only are super cool mystical stuff, but they actually represent how like viruses are shaped, right? And how some early, uh, you know, um, molecules are, are shaped, right? So I think that's kind of cool that this is the building blocks of the universe. And yet, uh, the mystics knew about these shapes and their special purposes just m- centuries, millennia before modern science. So that's kind of neat. Yep. Is there a dodecahedron in uh, Dungeons and Dragons? There's a twelve-sided die. Yeah, that's a I, that's an icosahedron, though. There's twenty. Yeah, there's a d twenty. It was the the icosahedron. That's the, yeah, the, the blue one. one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I guess you could roll two hexahedrons, two no, cu- two cubes. I don't know. Don't get too deep. Don't get too deep. Sun card's got an awesome question. This one. Yeah, I think we got to hit it. Yeah, I like that one. The when does it show up in the Freemason degrees? This is a Masonic podcast. I've got an idea. Let's hear I've it. Got an Go idea. Um, right up until the point you're brought to light. Yeah. 
Explain. No. Say more. Because there is just darkness and void. Oh. And the void is the ether. The formless Ooh. void. Ooh. Formless void. Mm. Well, Genesis. Mm. There you go. I can dig it. Yeah. I can dig it. And the cement. Also the cement. Also, also the, the cement. cement. But let's pull on that thread a little bit, because I'm digging this, because um, we were just talking about an hour ago, we were talking about um, Damoclellan on TikTok, right? Um, you know, super big into uh, biblical criticism and, and exposition. Um, let's look at Genesis 1, right? The the formless void, right? You know, he, he makes great arguments for Genesis 1 not being creation ex nihilo, right? It's not... Out of nothing. Mm-hmm. It's not out of nothing, right? And it's it's always been a mistranslation of Bereshit, right? The first word in, in Genesis. Um, totally could be another show. Yes. But it's not, you know, we're talking about formless void and the deep. Um, most people, when they hear that, they get intonations of water or an ocean, right? But it's right. not. It's a void. It's not, they're not there yet. Exactly. Right. We don't have water yet, but uh, formless void, yes. I think you're spot on, Jason. So if... And, and it makes sense, right? If either is the culmination of the four classical elements, then perhaps the word of creation, the initial cosmic vibration, separated the either into the classical elements causing creation. Like a prism. An elemental prism. Or like a big bang. I like it. Yeah, I, I like what. Remind me if I don't do it to go back and edit in a Bram at this point in the the, uh, the presentation. A Bram. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a thought, right? Right. I like it. What if so, what if creation was breaking something down into discrete pieces that was already there? It was already infinite. Infin- infinite potential before the right. big bang right yeah, yeah and that's amazing because we talk about the uh the uh, uh the crystalline structure right that is divided down into a three-dimensional plane of existence mm-hmm. and so uh the emergent theory there you go or yeah. that or enter kabbalah you've got the vessel that was shattered right. So let's talk like, so what does it mean spiritually? Right. Um, and we talked about the, the, the classical elements before um, where spiritualism kind of, kind of resides at the, the wand level or the, you know, the fire level, but for the quintessence, then you actually have like actual unification with the source. So this is where, when you talk about all things from a spiritual quintessence aspect or qu- spiritual element, we are now at the highest level we can possibly attain. We are at like right either gnosis or we're at, you know, we're right with hanging out with the divine, uh, unifying with the divine, reintegrating with the divine, however you want to say it, which actually, um, while we don't have many correspondences as we've been walking through things like the Tao or the Zodiac, um, or the quintessence, we actually do have the fifth level of the soul as we uh, walk through, uh, the Jewish uh, five levels of of the soul, 
And so the fifth level, the fifth and final level of, of uh, the Jewish soul is called Yakita, which represents the most inward journey and divine spark. Uh, Kabbalists see this as the level where the divine and soul actually make contact. So this is, boom, you're right there, right? Um, hanging out with the, with the creator. So this is the unification with the Adam Kadmon. This is sublime, pure, transcendent world. Um, you're really breaking everything off. You're hanging out in the infinite light. Um, and it is a, an immutable bond to the Holy One. I think that's, that's a beautiful way to put that. And so, hey, I'd like some of that. I'd like to get there someday. <laughs> like, that's, that's like the, the ultimate goal, whether it's spiritual alchemy, right? The great work, um, or, you know, just reintegration, reunification. Just, I think these are all ending the cycle of transmigration, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, all right. I'm off. I'm off the spinning wheel of reincarnation. Yeah. I'm, it's I'm beautiful. We are done. We're, we're completely out of the physical world. And we're there, uh, getting getting the prize at the end. So, I think that's a that's a beautiful thing when you think of it that like way. The Highlander, mm, yeah, like, like the Highlander movies. Well, <laughs> you can't count Highlanders Part Two because that just throws a wrench in the whole thing, right? That Being was, a, yeah. a prison or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. The first and the third. Yeah. yeah. So Scott Hamill with a fantastic thought there. Yes. Yes, I love we, it. We're done. We're done with our physical ego. We're done with ourselves. We are out now resonating on a completely different plane. And that's really interesting. A good friend of mine, uh, Rob Wingeter, a uh, great friend of the show, uh, fantastic esotericist, uh, spiritualist kind of guy, uh, knows way too much. Uh, he turned me on to a book called um, the, I think it's called the raw code. Um, it's basically about a, uh, a channeling that happened in the 1980s that was recorded and then they, uh, transcribed the whole thing. But in it, they talk about an ascension level of uh, beings and you get to a certain point where you're a grade above what we would call third density human. And you get to a point where you become, uh, one with, uh, those of a certain vibration, uh, getting closer and closer to, uh, vibratory grade, uh, being one with the creator. But when you move beyond the third grade density, you lose what you might call, uh, identity, right? So when you talk about ego death, this is really an interesting concept mm -hmm. because it's scary. We like to think we don't have ego because we're sitting here going, Oh, Oh, please, you know, not me. Right. Or, you know, you're, you're doing the thing where you, you get a compliment, you re compliment, and you really are trying in an earnest attempt to not, uh, take in things to make your mind, you know, you get to get a big head or whatever. Um, but in, in the truest sense, ego death is, is, is so profound of an activity and, and problem, maybe even inconceivable. Yeah. You no, know, I, I, I think it's, it's, and, and, you know, you're, your examples of, of ego are interesting because that's the first thing we think of when we say the word ego, but you know, it's spiritually it's, it's the death of our individuality. Right. And how damn hard is that to forget about being RJ? Right. It's like, I'm no longer RJ. I am one with all, right. It's, it's, 
I have it, one with the force and the force is with me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Such a great Star Wars movie. <laughs> it really is. There can only be one. Let's look at that Highlander reference again. If you ever go to uh, South Pasadena Masonic Lodge, uh, they've got a big laser sign that is usually on the wall in the dining room uh, when they have events, and it just says, all is one. And I mm. love it. It's really cool. I'm like, man, does Grand Lodge know you got that up? <laughs> Shh, don't tell anybody. It's right next to the bumper sticker. It says, be the change. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> be the change. Be the change. Love it. Awesome. Well, let's go switch over to the final question, which is the same final question that we've had for the other four, which are, what does a classical element of aether mean to you? And how are you applying it, if at all? Let's start with our traveling man, RJ. Uh, what does ether mean to me? I'm going to copy his answer. <laughs> what, what RJ said. <laughs> I really think about it as a sort of medium in which I place things in a divine sense. Um, I would probably call it something different if I were writing a scientific paper or something. Uh, I really wouldn't. Uh, it's kind of like how we've separated astrology and astronomy. Um, whether or not you agree with why we did that or not, I don't, I'm not here to debate that, but, um, just the idea of it's a thing that I hold a sort of magical reverence for to refer to the unknown. It's a, it's a noun that we can use uh, when appropriate. Um, it's a wonderful poetic sense. Uh, the word itself is kind of archaic and allows us to be, uh, I don't know, it's somewhat of a profound word right? Like it means something more profound than just the empty space or, you know, like what did, um, gosh, uh, the dude who wrote about Cthulhu, uh, HP Lovecraft. Yeah. Lovecraft. Right. When he wrote in the mad Arab, uh, you know, the, the creatures and the spaces in between it's, it's all of that. It's the space in between. It's the magic. It's the thing. Um, and I'm fine with allowing that word to represent those unknowns for me. That's kind of how I use it. Joe? Yeah, I'm uh, going to say something different. So, <gasps> yeah, I know. Shocker. Um, you. So, <laughs> so for me, the ether is... Um, it's that we didn't make any movie references, so I'm going to make one now. Um, you know, if we talk about the Fifth Element movie, we have fire, air, earth, water. And what was that fifth element? It was that perfect being, right? So I think for me, we have those four elements. And, and that ether, that fifth element is is soul, right? Is that divine fire uh, within us that hopefully we all have and, and that, that speaks to each other, you know, at that level above the mundane physical world um yeah and that's all i have to say about that sweet awesome jason i'm not gonna say what rj or joe said um going yeah. back to our musing on creation 
um, either to me represents the limitless potential of the undiscovered. And so when we talk about either in the context of something we just fundamentally don't understand, that thing can both be everything or it can be nothing. And through scientific discovery, explanation, testing, perturbation, you know, we as humans are able to turn that and manifest that into something that we then understand. But while it is yet unknown, it has the potential to be absolutely anything. You sound like David Bohm. <laughs> nice. It's a compliment. As opposed to, to Jacob? As, a, no, as opposed to Niels Bohr. Okay. <laughs> or Bill Nye. Sure. The science nice. guy. Very cool. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you, Jason. So, you know, for me, there, there's really the, the scientific end, and then there's the, like the philosophic part of it. And, and for me, I think, again, it's the natural progression of like the unexplored, the unknown, uh, fabric of our universe. And so I th again, I think it's interesting to see, do we give something a name that what you don't know? Do we, do we call it something that we, we feel there's still areas to explore? So, I think that's that's been an interesting scientific evolution of of ether from you know now we're in this quantum realm and how do we how do we explain the space between quantum elements and and what is that and so I don't know I think I th that's uh that's how I like to think of it from the scientific plane but again back to the spiritual plane you know it's it's the it's the end goal it's the it's the last step of the transformation that we're trying to go through as we're elevating out of the material sense into um, beyond the spiritual, right? We are now, um, we're no longer ourselves. Ego is dead. That's a good, good call in the chat. And then um, just reunifying with the divine, something that we won't, we won't ever get to um, while we're alive, but it's, it's certainly, you know, the, the last stop, last stop on the bus stop. So I don't know. It's, it's something to look forward to. And I, I think that's a good way to um, always be striving to get a little bit, to look, get a little bit closer to um, reunifying with the divine. So that's, that's the goal. That's what it's all about. And hence why we, why we care. There can be only one, only one reference here. Okay. Let's go to thanking all of you because you guys rock. Thank you all very much for watching and we'll see you wow. next week and keep searching for more light. Have a good night.